Hey, this is Angel Donovan with Dating Skills Podcast. This is a show where we look at dating, sex, and relationships in a way that translates to results. What we're concerned with is the truth by learning from experts with years of research or years of real life experience behind them. Coming from every perspective, could it be academic science to psychologists to pickup artists to porn stars and so on and so on and so on? We don't have any allegiances, we don't have any biases. We're looking at any information coming from any source that can be helpful to us. It's also all practical, action based. Information doesn't help us, it's taking action that works. So we make the information as practical and actionable as possible. If you have a specific question you want answered or a specific topic you want spoken about on this show, just email me and I'll find the top expert I can to cover it as soon as possible. You can email me at angel at datingskillsreview.com. Today, we're looking at the basics of social and people skills. Also, we're going to be looking at relating to higher status people like celebrities or people you would like to learn from. So very successful people. So for example, very successful people in dating, sex and relationships or elsewhere in your life. And those people could mentor you. But again, they tend to be much higher status than you. So how do you relate to them? How do you contact them? Another thing to say about today's show is it's extremely practical with some very good, simple takeaways. So enjoy that. Today's guest is the first Australian we've ever had on the show. It's James Swanick. He's a former TV anchor for ESPN Sports Center, and he got that job through networking and he didn't have any TV experience. He's also interviewed many celebrities from Robert Downey Jr. to Jennifer Aniston, John Bon Jovi and Angelina Jolie and so on and so on. So through that, he gathered a lot of experience, had to relate, socialize and work with high status people like this. And today he teaches these kinds of things, people skills, social skills, and he spreads the word about the value of these types of skills in everything in our lives. There's two ways to get the summary of today's show by getting the show notes or links, everything we talk about, the MP3 download, transcript, and so on. First of all, you go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and just click on the episode to see everything there. Or you can get it in your newsletter inbox every time we put an episode out. For that, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, put your email in, and then you'll basically be able to forget about it and just get your show notes every time we put a show out. Now let's get into today's interview. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. James, thanks so much for joining the show. Angel, great to be here. Thank you. All right, let's get a bit of background on you. How did you get to LA? How old are you? And uh, what are you up to there? Yeah, what's my story? (laughs) Well, you can tell I'm an Australian. Uh, I grew up in Brisbane, in Australia, I became a newspaper journalist right out of high school. Um, and then after doing that for six years, I went over to London in about 1999 because I wanted to follow the Rugby World Cup and the Cricket World Cup that year and got myself a job at Sky Sports covering those two events and then uh, fell in love with an English girl um, and she broke my heart. Bit of a disaster. So I went, i got to get out of this damn country. I didn't want to go back to Australia. So I got on a plane, went to Los Angeles, lived in a hostel for about 90 days and then figured out a way to live in America and um, interviewing movie stars like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and George Clooney, John Bon Jovi. And then I, I, those interviews, I would then sell those interviews to magazines all over the world and TV shows and then started a PR company in about 2008 in Los Angeles, but then lost it from the financial crisis. Went, on, went down to South America for a little bit, learned Spanish and lived in Buenos Aires and Medellin, Colombia. Came back, hosted a TV show, Sports Center on ESPN and Quit drinking, haven't drunk now in five and a half years, created a product called 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge and now I do my best to inspire people in health and productivity and business and I guess you could say I'm living the dream here in Los Angeles, California. Great to hear it. So uh, give us a little bit of perspective on your social and relationships. Like um, are you in a relationship right now? What's your dating life like? Yeah, no, um, I'm single right now. I've I've been in two pretty long relationships in the last couple of years, which were 
terrific. I was a player in my 20s, definitely, and almost, and probably into my early 30s. Uh, the Australian accent does pretty well out here in California. Does all right down in South America where I was living as well. But then as I matured, got into my, you know, around 33, 34, 35, I, I became very much focused on, on relationships. And since then, I attract a much higher quality of woman into my life and I very much focus on the quality of the relationship rather than when I was in my 20s and early 30s, it was all about the numbers, you know, it was, uh, it was quantity. There was absolute quality there as well, but now I'm just bide my time a little bit more. Los Angeles is filled with incredibly beautiful women, impossibly beautiful women. So I'm very much spoiled um, in that regard. However, not all of them are the type of marriage material that I would certainly be 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 looking for. So sometimes it's easy to be to be overwhelmed by someone's beauty and go, oh, I'm going to marry that woman and that's terrific. But you dig beneath the surface and there's a few reasons there why maybe it's not not a good fit. But for the most part, living in Los Angeles is terrific, sunny, the people are very positive, people are very health conscious. And that's the type of life partner that I'm looking for. Um, and they're the kind of people that I attract into my life. Yeah, I, I find the same. I find people very positive there. That's definitely one of one of the strong points of people from there. So you mentioned marriage just there. Is that something that you figure you'll be doing at some point or ever? Is that kind of in the plans? It's a great question. In fact, the, the last relationship that I had ended because I had expressed that I was open to the idea of not getting married, as I am open to the idea of getting married. Um, it was a contentious issue with this. The woman that I was dating is a Coptic Christian. She's Egyptian American and her faith is very important to her. And for her, her path is set in stone. She will get married. What is Coptic Christian? Is that a specific? Yeah, it's an Egyptian branch of Christianity. Is it more extreme? Because some are more extreme than others in terms of the rules and getting married. And Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's not extreme. The word extreme makes it sound like they're fanatical or something, but it's just more disciplined, I guess, in that. But uh the issue really was is that I have read enough books on evolutionary psychology. I've been in enough relationships. I've seen enough people who've been married, success stories and, and failures to form my own opinion. And that is, I don't feel like I need to get married. I absolutely will have children, but I'm not 100% convinced that I will get married. And nor do I feel the need to get married. And you know, it doesn't work for every woman. It doesn't work for many women, but it sure as hell works for a lot of women. I've got a female friend out here who's 39 and she hasn't had a boyfriend in three or four years and she's now getting the, the IVF. She's, she's actually getting a, um, how do you say it, a donor, uh, a mystery donor. She sees a photo in a scrapbook and says, yeah, that guy, I like that guy, and then she gets in seven. Is that all they get, a photo in a scrapbook? You'd hope they get a lot more these days. I think they get to hear the voice as well. They get to, like, the, they record the man's voice who donate. Like a video, I don't think it's a video. No, I think it's just the voice wow. and a photo and they get to know a little bit about the person's background, but not enough that you can easily identify that man. I'd want to know the genetics. So if I was a woman, I was going to have someone's babies. I'd be like, I want the best genetics here. You know, I want to be able to screen that. Maybe that's coming in the future or maybe that's not going to be allowed. I don't know. Well, I guess they're making their decision based on how tall is he? What does his voice sound like? Um, what's his educational background? But there's nothing there about his name or wh which city he lived in or, or, or any of those kind of things that you could easily track that person down. But the point I guess I was trying to make is that this whole tradition of marriage, I think it's we're headed to an apocalypse with it, I think. I, I think we're going to see more and more people not getting married, um, people who do get married later and later in life. And I think we're going to see a complete transformation of that traditional marriage institution. I think we're going to see a lot more families, um, couples who are not going through that formal process, but are choosing to have monogamous relationships and raise, raise children together. I would be perfectly happy if I, on my de deathbed at say 85 or 90, looked back and said, I had three amazing relationships with incredible women and you know, maybe had children with one of them or two of them. Some people are going, oh my God, that's outrageous. I, what are you talking about? You need the traditional family. But I don't know. I don't, I, I don't subscribe to, I don't subscribe to these very strict, rigid cultural traditions. I figure out what works for me. And, and I'm, and I suspect that I will very happily have children and raise children with a partner who I love, but I probably will not get married. Although I'm, I'm still open to that. Right. You sound very similar to me. I've been thinking off and on it for many years. 
something that we've heard on the show, which might be interesting to you, is like we've had a couple of researchers talking about like what the research says about it. And there is evidence that says you're going to have a better quality relationship. You're going to be healthier if you actually get married versus just live together. But I'm wondering also if that's influenced by the types of people who decide to get married and who decide not, right? So if I was someone who was, I would typically get married, but I decided not to for the reasons we're talking about that are changing right now and it's just becoming more common, then I might act in exactly the same way as a married person. Or maybe there's something just about being married that actually changes you. So some people think the social pressure around people, once you're married, people think of you as different because you have this little notice on you saying you're married and they kind of reinforce your marriage. Whereas if you're just together, you're living together or something, maybe you don't have that reinforcing social pressure. So it's an interesting topic. Well, I'll tell you, you really have to come back to what is it that you want out of life? I've read a a book recently called Lessons of History by uh, Will Durant, one of the great historical writers of all time. And he wrote that one of the laws of nature is that life must replicate. In other words, it's inherently in our genes that we want our genes to continue. In other words, we want to have children. It's just deep in our, in our, uh, in our psychology. So if you decide you want to have children and you want your genes to carry on and you want to produce offspring, then the next question is, well, how do you do that? Now, do you have to get married to be able to adequately raise a child to ensure that your offspring continues on and your bloodline continues? I would argue, no, you do not. Does that provide you with more happiness? Maybe, but also maybe not. So I know it's an ambiguous answer, but but really inherently when it comes down to it, one of the laws of nature is life must replicate and everything is set up for us to have sex to produce a child and for that child to live and then to have sex and produce another child and carry on. That's one of the the undisputable laws of nature. And so as long as you get that right, I don't think it really matters whether you get married or not. Now, it also doesn't mean that you go around fathering children all over the world. Otherwise, we'd have anarchy, right? We'd be having 40, 50 children. Although having said that, one in 10 men in the world uh, are a direct descendant of of, uh, Genghis Khan, the great Chinese, uh, oh, the great Mongolian, I'm sorry, uh, ruler. He, if you could interview him today, he might say, well, absolutely, you should go and father a million people because look what I created. You know what I mean? Like I created this great dynasty and I created this great universe and, and look at my offspring all over the place. But I don't know. Look, I think, I know it, it seems like a bit of a cop-out answer to say whatever works for you, but listen, whatever works for you. Everyone's just trying to do the best they can, but I certainly did not do not adhere that, to the idea that I have to get married, although my mother will probably tell you a different story. <laughs> she's, she's in Brisbane, Australia going, James, come back to Australia, meet a nice Australian girl, get married and have children. I'm like, oh, I don't think that's going to happen, Jill. Right. <laughs> that's exactly the sort of conversation I have with my mom as well. Right. I think that's a great approach to it, trying to think about what's going to really suit you and your lifestyle and going with that way. It takes a little bit of soul searching to figure it out. I want to switch gears a little bit to move on to one of your stronger points, uh, definitely where you've got a lot more experience than most people, is socializing, networking, and building a social lifestyle in LA, You know, which is you just kind of gave us some of the highlights with the celebrities and, and everything. So first of all, I would just like to know, has that any way contributed or, or related to your dating lifestyle? Have you, have you seen that impact your, your dating lifestyle? Yeah, I have positives and negatives, um, pros and cons. So the positives are I live in Los Angeles. I'm in the, I work kind of in the entertainment industry. I get to go to fashion shows, the, the, the Oscars, the Golden Globes. I've been to the Playboy Mansion. I've dated a Playboy model. I've dated models. It's amazing, right? If you're a single guy, it's like this is Disneyland. You know, it's, it's terrific. The only, the, and that's a pro because it's fun. And you have, you're spoiled for choice. And everywhere you look is like a beautiful woman. And every social occasion, there's a beautiful woman. Even if I was just going to go over to a friend's place and just hang out and there was nothing to do with entertainment, if there were girls there, chances are that they're going to be really fun, positive, energetic, attractive looking women. And so that's terrific. It's like you're always spoiled for choice. The con is that you're spoiled for choice. And because you're spoiled for choice, you get into what's called decision fatigue, where how this has affected me is that I'm always thinking the grass is always greener. It's like I can walk away from this relationship because I know that there are going to be five other girls or women potentially equally as good or if not better 
than the one that I'm letting go. So when you live in Disneyland, there's always a shiny new thing. And so it just to say you've been in a relationship for a year, for a year with a wonderful person, if you value yourself and you have a high regard for yourself and you have good self-esteem, it's a lot easier for you to walk away from that relationship knowing that you are someone of who is attractive enough to be able to attract the opposite sex. So pros, sport for choice. There's always great, amazing women from different cultures all over the place. I'm always being introduced to them. Um, cons, you can get caught up in a perpetual cycle of decision fatigue where it's like, ah, should I marry this one? Should I have kids with this one? Or should I not? But there's, mm, maybe I should do this. Mm-mm-mm. At some point, I'm going to have to just choose and just decide and just cut off the options and just be absolutely thrilled with who I'm partnered with and how she makes me feel and how I make her feel. Otherwise, your danger is you get into this, this vicious cycle of always comparing, the grass is always greener and never being satisfied. Excellent. So you've worked with a number of high status celebrities and you know, how did you get in contact with, how did you set up interviews with those? Was it difficult? Was there some kind of social networking involved or what kind of pr- procedures do you put in place to, to make that happen? Well, initially 10 years ago, when I first arrived in this country, I was actually a journalist for magazines around the world. So it was quite easy. I was writing for Loaded Magazine in the UK, for example, which was like one of the original lads mags, or I was writing for the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia. And so because they have huge readership, or at least they did at the time, it was easy to go to the the PR agents of Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, George Clooney and say, hey, let James interview you and we'll promote your latest movie in these magazines and newspapers around the world, which serves their interests because they get to promote their commercial movie, which puts more bums on seats and everyone's happy. I haven't done that profession now for about six or seven years, but because I moved in those circles and I was able to meet the personal publicists of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt and John Bon Jovi and Tom Cruise and John Travolta and all these people, all of a sudden you become known. You get a reputation of being someone who's trustworthy. And then later on, it becomes a lot easier to reach out to those connections, to those people that you formed a relationship with over a number of months or a number of years and make a request to interview them, even if maybe the star's interest is not served as as much as if I was coming with all these huge, big readership from, from the magazine. So that's where relationships are certainly key. When you move in those circles and you get a reputation for being honest and straightforward and reliable and you don't screw anyone over and you're polite and you're friendly and you're helpful and you're generous uh, and you're considerate, man, you can do anything in life. It's really amazing. If you just have good, basic people skills, the universe just delivers you whatever it is that you want. So yeah, for you, what would be the fundamental people skills and how did you nurture those relationships over that time? Yeah. Take a genuine interest in the other person. Now, I want to go over this. I know it sounds very simple, but there's a difference between taking an interest in the other person and taking a genuine interest in the other person. Taking an interest in someone is because you're going to get something out of it. The other person can sniff that out. They can smell that. It's like fake praise. Oh yeah. How you doing? Oh yeah. Tell me about yourself. But really in your head, you're like, how can this person help me? How can this person help me? How can this person help me? Which is the standard. If you think about it, like a lot of people, it's the standard. But if you just switch it, I'm going to take a genuine interest in this person. And I'm going to ask questions because I really want to know about this person. And I genuinely want to find interest in this person because it makes me feel good to be interested in other people. It gives me pleasure to hear someone else's story. It gives me pleasure to be able to inspire someone to feel good about telling their story, about sharing their story. Then the dynamic of that relationship completely changes. And you can go from one of just being some forgettable person that someone met at a cocktail party to you walking away and the other person going, I want to connect with that person again, or I want to do business with that person, or I want to go on a date with that person, or I want to introduce that person to someone in my network. So the rule number one, in everything that I've ever done is take a genuine interest in other people. Now, some people say to themselves, I don't like other people. Some people would describe themselves as an introvert and they feel awkward 
around people. I'm definitely an extrovert. I've done the, the, the Myers-Briggs test where you could actually see what personality test you are and I'm an extrovert. So meeting people comes a little bit easier for me. But let me tell you, if you're an introvert, you can learn little techniques, just little techniques that you can just, okay, here's a stranger. I don't know this person. What do I need to say? I know what I'm going to say. I'll, instead of saying, what's your name? What do you do? You switch it to, what's your story? What are you passionate about right now? What are you interested in? Tell me about yourself. Those kind of questions which encourage the other person to open up and share their story is what creates connection. And when you create connection, you create intimacy on a platonic and a romantic level. And when you create that intimacy and that connection, that's when greatness happens. That's when people want to help you. Yeah. Well, a couple of points on there. You mentioned the uh, Myers-Briggs and it's an actually, actually an interesting thing amongst basically a lot of the dating guys I relate to is we all did that test many, many years ago, like. 10, 15, whenever it was. And a lot of us came back as the introvert type. But just recently, it was only about two months ago, I think, um, everyone was like, one guy was like, hey, I used to be an introvert and now I'm an extrovert uh, on this test. Everyone did it and it was pretty much the same deal. Like they'd all been introverts and that was why they got into studying like how to be better social skills and all this stuff. And now they're extroverts. So it's one of those things where I, I don't think it's like genetic. I think some people do start off one way or the other. But if you want to, if you want to change, it's up to you. Kind of like your brain gets reprogrammed. You keep going out, you keep being social. Eventually, your brain's just like, I kind of like this. I'm used to this. This is, this is becoming the new norm for me. It's about getting that experience in. It's a learnable skill. It's a, it's a learnable skill. I interviewed a whole bunch of people on this and I put it together into a, a program called, called People Skills Reboot. And it's amazing. I had one guy, um, he lives out in Fort Lauderdale in, in, uh, in Florida, and he came up to me at a seminar I was in in January and he's like, oh, hi, James. Um, I'm really shy and introverted and uh, there's so many people here and I, I, you know, I've listened to your podcast and, but I'm, just, I'm still really shy. What, what do I do? And I said, well, first of all, you came up to me and you introduced yourself. So you're actually not that shy. So great work. Congratulations. And second of all, you can learn these skills. You can learn what to say in the first two seconds of meeting someone. You can learn how you should position your body language. You can learn what, how to have an argument with someone effectively that diffuses the situation. It is a learnable skill. He went through my People Skills Reboot program. And, but like, by the way, you don't need to do that. You can just read the book, win Friends, How to Win Friends and Influence People or Winning with People by John C. Maxwell. Do any program, read any book on this. Whatever it is, as long as it's reputable, you can learn this skill and you can train your mind to get out of one of I'm no good, I can't meet people, I don't know, to like I'm all of a sudden a people magnet and people want to connect with me. Yeah, great, great, great stuff. So yeah, I was wondering what you'd learned from I'll kind of bring up a situation recently just to give it a bit of context because it was in the news, whatever. It was Robert Downey Jr. had this awful interview where this guy kind of acted a bit socially inappropriately. Well, that's what Robert Downey Jr.'s take on it. I was wondering if you'd learn anything different from relating to celebrities, like you felt like you got any social or people skills, and you learn anything from those experiences that are different and what you'd think of, the, I don't know if you followed the Robert Downey Jr. thing, if you'd follow that and you felt like that was a, he was treading over social appropriateness lines and stuff, the interviewer? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, I've interviewed just about every celebrity on the, on the planet and I did get in trouble a few times from 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers for asking what they described as inappropriate questions. For example, Jason Statham, the British action star, I was interviewing him for one of the transporter movies and I asked him about his ex-girlfriend, Kelly Brook, who's the British actress and model. She was pretty, she used to host the big breakfast in the UK back in the day. And he didn't like me asking anything to do with Kelly Brook. And at the end of the interview, he complained to 20th Century Fox. And then they called me up and said, hey, you're not allowed to ask personal questions. And in my mind, I'm like, are you kidding me? All I'm going to do is ask personal questions. Because if it's not personal, what is it? All I'm doing is just promoting his damn movie. Like I want to know about his life. There was another time, but then Fast forward a year later, I was interviewing Paris Hilton for the movie House of Wax. And uh, at the time, she was dating some guy called Paris. So we got this Paris Hilton and she's dating a man called Paris something or other, some shipping magnate grandson. And I said to her, what's... <laughs> Is it ever weird when you might be uh, having sex with your boyfriend and both of you yell out Paris, Paris at the same time? 
And she laughed hysterically. She thought it was the funniest thing that she had ever heard. And she couldn't stop laughing. For a minute, she's like laughing. And at the end of it, she goes, that was such a great question uh, and such a great interview. And so with some people, you just never know. Just to get back to your original question, what I found is that the best way to ask a question, the best way to get the best kind of answers is to ask someone how they were feeling about something. So rather than saying to Robert Downey Jr., tell us um, why did you get arrested for drugs and, and having a gun and all that kind of stuff, a better way of asking the question to put a positive spin on it might be, you know, it's been some years now, it's been 15 years now since your hell-raising days. What did you learn? What have you learned over the last 10 or 15 years about yourself uh, through that process of redemption? How did you feel going through, coming out of that seemingly dark period and into this period where you've got this hit movie and everything's great and you're married? And so that's asking, it's asking the, the person that you're interviewing to connect to a feeling. It's all, there's also a lesson in there. You're saying like you're asking them to teach the lesson like of redemption, if you like. It's not so much what about all, all those bad days? It's, well, those bad days, what did you learn? What's the lesson in there that can really inspire other people? So sometimes you just need to reframe the question a little bit to put a positive spin on it. And, and many times you can get great answers and really make a connection with people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know if you saw the interview, but the interviewer looked extremely uncomfortable and hesitant when he was asking, he was kind of building up to answer the questions. And I felt like that, plus the fact that he was negative, as you're saying, mm. like he was putting in a negative light instead of trying to bring value, as you said earlier, to the person. And then I thought he was setting himself up to get slammed by <laughs> Junior. I'll give you another example that the Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather boxing fight recently. At the end of that fight, there was a reporter from HBO, American guy, and he was interviewing Manny Pacquiao, who'd just lost. And Manny Pacquiao said that he thought that he'd won the fight. And the reporter, the journalist, was like incredulous at this suggestion. He was like, you thought you won? Wow. And then the tonality of his voice was one of like, are you crazy, Manny? Like, there's no way you won. And then he continued to press Manny Pacquiao with this line of questioning, which was, you just didn't seem like you showed up or like, did he hit you hard in the first two rounds? Is that why you, you stepped back in the last last few rounds? And it was almost like one of, it was very aggressive questioning of Manny Pacquiao. Now that reporter, he could have still had his opinion that there was no way that Manny Pacquiao could have thought that he'd won, but he could have asked the question without the tonality and asked it in a much nicer, softer way, which would have made made for a much better interview. Instead of saying, what, you thought you won? He, you, he could have said, so what made you think that you had won the fight? You know, and said it very deadpan instead of like, what, you thought you'd won? Or even changing the tonality, even if he said the same sentence, he could have been like, oh, oh, you thought you won. So what made you think that? What made you feel that? And you see how that's, there's so much difference there. In fact, a lot of language experts say that a lot of time, how we inspire people or persuade people, it's it's 90%, it's only 10% of what you say and it's 90% of how you say it, which is why tonality and context play such an important part. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great example on, on tonality also. Are there any big takeaways you took from relating? I don't know how many years, what, a couple of years, three years, you were basically going in celebrity circles, meeting a lot of them. Did you take any, you think you developed any particular social or people skills or learned any lessons from that? I mean, it really just made me become a great questioner, ask great questions of people. Uh, what's a crap question? Uh, let me just put this in context, okay? My job when I was sitting down with these celebrities, I had 20 minutes on most occasions to interview them. And the magazines I was writing for all wanted me to extract personal comments about them. For example, when I interviewed Angelina Jolie for the movie The Changeling in 2005, they wanted me to ask her about Brad Pitt and her kids, right, and, and, and her children. Actually, it wasn't about Brad Pitt at the time. I, I, th- I think that relationship came later, but I, they wanted me to ask her about her kids. And the publicist had said, no personal questions. This is before she walked in the room. And I'm like, well, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to ask damn personal questions. So... What I had to do was find a way to craft a question that got Angelina Jolie wanting to tell me about her kids, okay? So 
instead of when she walked in, she walked into the, we were in the penthouse suite of the Four Seasons Hotel in Beverly Hills. She walked in, she introduced herself, said, hi, Angeline. She said, hi, Jane. Nice to meet you. Sit down. What I could have done wrong was say, tell me about your kids. Why do you keep adopting children? What's what's the purpose of that? <laughs> and I would have got my the response would have been like this is an outrageous interview, and she probably would have got up and walked out. Instead, what I said was so in this movie, Changeling, you play a mother whose son goes missing. Just a really traumatic event for a woman. You yourself are a mother. How do you think you would feel, and how do you think you would act if something like that happened to you? And then I just shut up. Now, that's a great question because it requires more than a yes or a no answer. It requires her to think. It requires her to talk about her feelings. It requires her to dig deep within herself to imagine a scenario and how she would play that out. And Angelina Jolie, her response to my question was to give me about three or four minutes of quotes about her children. And at that time, she, didn't, she hadn't spoken about her child Maddox or her adopted children at great length, only a little bit. And she went on and on and on. She's like, oh, if Maddox was kidnapped, it'd be awful. It'd be terrible. That's why I have security teams around me. And when I went to Africa last year and I was there and I was meeting all these children and and it was just such a beautiful experience. And if any of my children were ever taken, then I would just absolutely move heaven and earth to try and find them. And I would do this. And sometimes fans come up to us in the street and I worry about it and, and I have to get my security detail. I don't want my security detail there. I want to live my own life, but I have to. Like these great quotes. And it all came because I asked the right question. I asked a good question. I asked a question that was open-ended, that asked her to describe a feeling. Uh, and it was sympathetic and empathetic. And it was friendly. And it related to what, what she wanted as well, which is the promotion of film. And it related to exactly what she wanted, which was to promote her film. So whenever you're connecting to anyone, to any human being, find out what interests them. What are they passionate about? And then move heaven and earth to try and get that person excited to talk about what they're interested in and try and find the part of it that you're interested in because you don't want to just sit back and go, like if you're meeting someone who's into chess and you couldn't give a rat's ass about chess and you find that boring, you don't want to sit there for 10 minutes while someone craps on about chess. But if you ask a question like, why do you love chess so much? Was there a moment where you were losing chess and all of a sudden you fought back to win? What was going on in your mind? What was going on in your head when you were down and out and seemingly you were going to lose? What did that trigger in your mind to be able to come out of that? Now you can be fascinated by the answer because every human being has been down and out and tried to find a way to dig themselves out of a hole. Now the conversation is not about chess. It's about getting up when you're down even though the guy who's talking to you is talking about chess. So it's finding those commonalities. It's finding those themes where two people can connect. And as you said, you couldn't do it with anything because you took an object in this place, chess, because everyone's thinking, home. Oh, well, I'm not interested in the same things. I'm potentially a girl or a guy I'm interested in connecting with, but we're so different in terms of what connecting. But you just brought it all back by saying, all right, let's look at How does that relate to the human experience, basically? Uh, Whatever it is. How does it relate to the human experience? Absolutely, yeah. And everyone can relate to that. We're all humans. Everyone can relate to a story of being down and out and fighting their way back. Everyone can relate to heartbreak. My podcast, I got a podcast in iTunes called The James Swanick Show. Anyone who's been listening to my show regularly will know that I talk about how a Colombian woman broke my heart in 2011 and it left me devastated for a year. And I'm walking through the streets and just down and depressed. Why do I share that story? I'm a grown man. Most men instinctively would not want to share that story. But I do. And you know why I do? Because people connect to that story. Because everyone's had their heart broken. Every man has felt pain over a woman. Every woman has felt pain over a man. And so when I share that story, people connect with me. I have a challenge called the 30-day no alcohol challenge. I, I quit alcohol five and a half years ago. I never drank heavily. I just drank enough that I was had a bit of a beer belly and I was a bit hungover. And um, at my website, there's a video of me talking about my story of when I quit drinking. It's at 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. And I talk about how when I met Jennifer Aniston, the Hollywood actress who's in the TV show Friends, I was 30 pounds overweight. 
And when I, I was posing for the photo, I was sucking my gut in because I was so embarrassed. I was standing next to one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood and I'm 30 pounds overweight with a big marshmallow man face and, and double chin. And I share that story. In fact, if you want to see that, the photo of me with Jennifer Aniston and see how you know, my fat face, just go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com and in the first 10 seconds, you can see the, the photo of me and Jennifer Aniston. But I share that story because it connects to people because everyone can feel what it's like to feel awkward or insignificant or inferior around someone else. I don't make out my life to be perfect and great and amazing. One other thing I'd say here, Angela, which is a great way to connect with people is talk about your failures. Be open about them. Be honest about them. Say, I messed up. I was heartbroken. I made a mistake. I lost all my money. I blew out. I got 30 pounds overweight because everyone's made a mistake. And when you admit your mistakes and you talk about your pain and your suffering and all that kind of stuff, people can connect to you because everyone's gone through the same thing. Yeah, great point. So I remember what I wanted to refer back to earlier now. You were talking about being intimate, being more intimate and developing that with people. So I was thinking about how basically you're taking risks that a lot of people don't want to take, right? A lot of the guys probably listening to this are listening to what you're saying here and they're thinking, wow, that sounds kind of risky, putting myself out there. And I think what you're basically saying is you have to take those risks to be more intimate, to ask more personal questions than you think is maybe appropriate. Because a lot of people think, well, I should just ask these dry questions. What's your name? Where you come from? Like this is some of the you know typical questions we tell guys not to not to use. And normally the typical advice is like, don't ask people questions because it annoys them. But actually you're kind of reframing it and it's, and it's good to see it like that, is that don't ask dry, boring questions. Yeah, ask better questions. Become a master questioner. And if look, if you take nothing else away from this, from this interview, just in your mind implant this question. What's your story? When you first meet someone, say, what's your story? And what's your story is 100 times better than what do you do? Because when you ask, what do you do? The person will say, oh, I'm accountant or I'm a lawyer or I do this. And you go, oh, okay. But if you say, what's your story? Man, you can get so many different answers. It could be like, well, I'm Australian and I've moved here to Los Angeles a few years ago and now I'm developing this thing and, you know, just it's amazing. Like you, the conversation can just go in 20 different tangents. You don't know what the other person's going to say. What's important to the other person is likely to come out of that person's mouth. It might be, oh, I just had a kid the other day. It's amazing. And then you can go down the path of having a conversation about having children. It might be, oh, I love uh, hiking. I'm a hiking enthusiast. You go down the path of like, well, tell me about your hiking. Have you hiked the Grand Canyon or the, you know, where's a great place around here? It can go in all kinds of different directions. Second great question to ask once you're in the conversation is, how did it feel when? What was going through your mind when? What lesson did you learn when? So whenever someone tells you a story, ask them to talk about their feelings in that moment. How did you feel in that moment? What were you thinking in that moment? What did you learn from that process? They're great questions. Great questions. Not only because you're going to get interesting answers, but because the person that is answering it is going to enjoy giving you the answers. But when you ask questions that require just bland yes or no answers or factual answers like, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. I mean, right away, you're just playing catch up right from the very beginning. It's like both people think to themselves, this conversation blows, man. This conversation sucks. I got to have another one of these stupid conversations. I don't like it particularly much when someone's in America say, it starts out with, oh, you're from Australia? Yes. <laughs> Where are you from? Brisbane. Oh, I've always really wanted to go to Australia. Okay. How long have you been here? Okay. Right. And you've heard that. 150 Man, times. Man, so many times. times. And yeah. So, I mean, the rule here is like people have heard these really boring list of questions many, many times. And you're going to stand out by just giving the questions because I do think it relates a bit to these balls and it's a little bit out of social convention, but it's not, it's not a bad way out of social convention. It's just that a lot of people are scared of being a little bit more intimate and a little bit more personal and asking that a little bit more personal question because I think they're going to, like, these people are going to like, oh, I don't want to talk about my personal self or something. I'm not really sure what the, the idea is there, but you stand out just by asking these questions which are asking for a bit more interesting information from the person. I mean, you want to stand out. Exactly, yeah. Do you want to be another sheep? Because you will be forgettable. If you want to be forgettable, 
then just carry on asking your lame questions and getting crap results or mediocre results or not being able to connect with a woman or not being able to make new friends. Just keep asking those same questions. I'll tell you this though, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So test questions. Go out there and test it. Ask a good question. Ask a question that gets the other person genuinely excited to tell you the answer and ask open-ended questions that don't require a yes, no, or a factual response. Be a master questioner. And if you become a master questioner, you will become a master people person. Excellent. Another area of your life that you talk about a lot is being a mentee. On your podcast and elsewhere, you talk about how uh, Ty Lopez is your mentor and how that's helped you. Could you talk about some of the things, what do you find important about that relationship and kind of give us the outline of why you feel it's so important to be a mentee? And then how can you be a good mentee? What are the things that people don't do, the big mistakes they make when they want to get a mentor and they want to learn from someone? Right. Well, look, there's nothing more powerful in terms of your education than getting a mentor or getting mentors. And a mentor is someone who is 10, 20 years ahead of where you want to be in that area. Or it might just be someone who's incredibly more skilled than you in a certain area. You don't need to. But if you can learn from someone who has gone through and made the mistakes and has paved the way and has experience and has wisdom and that person can pass on his or her knowledge to you, which saves you the same kind of mistakes and the same years of heartache and the same pain, you will save yourself years of wasted productivity. You'll save yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds or euros, whatever currency you're in, you will save yourself unnecessary stress. So getting a mentor is so important. Um, Being a good mentee means not just taking from your mentor and saying, you teach me everything because I just deserve to be taught everything. It's helping your mentor. It's offering value to your mentor in an area of his or her life that maybe he's not well-versed in. Or maybe it's just making their life a little easier. Or maybe it's just sending them a little uh, internet clipping about uh, on a news story about something that, that your mentor is interested in. I'll give you an example. I mentored someone, an American gentleman who's living over in, in Thailand. He heard me on my podcast about uh, 14, 15 months ago. And he sent me an email And I, by the way, I get hundreds of emails a week and people wanting to have coffee with me or take me to lunch. And I either ignore most of them or I just politely decline because I hate it when people reach out to me and say, can I take you to coffee and pick your brain? Like I'm busy. I want to help people. But when that person is reaching out to me that way, they're not offering any value. Okay. All they're doing is saying, can I please take up three hours of your time so you can help me? That's not a good way to do it. But this person reached out to me uh, sent me an email. And in the email, it said, hey, James, I noticed the, this thing about your website at jameswanick.com. And I thought maybe if you changed it or amended it, that you'd probably get more people clicking on your site or more people signing up to your email list. Just a suggestion, no need to reply. And I was like, damn, that guy just offered me value. He just brought to my attention something that I wasn't aware of. Truth be known, I didn't reply to him. I, j- I just went, oh, that's nice. And I didn't reply to him. Guess what? Two weeks later, the same guy emailed me again. This time he knew that I was a Denver Broncos fan. And so he sent me an email going, hey, James, I I see that Peyton Manning's been injured. I know you're a Broncos fan. What do you, um, here's an article I wrote, uh, I just found on uh, ESPN.com, which I thought you might find interesting. By the way, I really enjoyed your podcast with dot, dot, dot. And then he signed off. I'm like, who is this person? Like he knows that I'm a Denver Broncos fan. And he sent me an article that he knows I would find interest in. And after that second email, I replied and said, hey man, here's my schedule. Schedule me a, a time and I'll, let's get jump on Skype for 15 minutes. And then two weeks later, I got on a Skype call with him. He was in Thailand, I was in Los Angeles. And then we got to talking and I ended up hiring him to work on my email list on my website and just to optimize it because he had experience in email optimization on funnels. And so he ended up, he's been working for me now for, for about a year and I've paid him money and sent him money and we have a great relationship and he's learned so much from me and he has helped me by offering value. Too many times people are like, I'm going to get a mentor, that person's going to teach me everything and I'm going to give nothing back. But what he did was he offered value to me. He showed that he, he knew enough about me 
uh, and he got my attention. So I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, it's really hard to figure out how I'm going to add value to someone who's, especially if they're 20 years ahead of, of me. Have you got any like practical tips on different ways? You just gave us some good illustrations of how he basically did some research. He got to know you really well, whether it was listening to your podcast or he was actually doing some research and he really tried to find some things that he knew something about or he could relate to and he could relate to. And maybe he just waited for the opportunity for something to come up and he's like, oh, I bet James would like that. I'll send it to him or I'll help him out with that. Have you got any other suggestions on practical tips, maybe things that you've learned over time that help to add people, had value to people or 20 years ahead? And sometimes we think, wow, they're so successful. I don't know what I can do for them. Yeah, offer to work for them for free, um, offer to, to help them out uh, without asking for any money in return, connect them to people that you think that they would want to be connected to, send them a book in the mail, figure out what their work address is and send them a book with a handwritten note that says, I really enjoyed listening to you or you've really inspired me. I thought you'd really appreciate this book. Um, handwritten notes are, are huge, massive because no one does it. And when you get the, something like that, it's like, who is this person? Right, track that person down. Let's have a conversation with them. What I like about that today is it's getting even less, it's even more scarce. Less and less people are writing handwriting. So it's only going to get more valuable over time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One kid, uh, I say kid, I, should, I shouldn't call him a kid, but he was in high school and he sent me a, a video, a 30-second video where he'd written a rap song with lyrics, including with, with my name in it. And it was kind of like... Um, how did it go? It was like pretty much no experience at all, but I'd work all day for you for just a minute on a call. And he had shots of me and my website and he'd written the word James down in a calendar and filmed the word James in a calendar as if saying, I would work all day for you for just a minute on a call. He sent me this in a YouTube clip, put music to it, it's different shots. And I'm like looking at this and going, how can I ignore this person? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it flatters me. It appeals to my vanity. It's like this kid knows enough about me that he's written a, written lyrics and written a song about me. Same thing happened. I, I scheduled a call with him. I spoke to him. And then I invited him to come to LA to do three days work experience. And he ended up actually staying in my home because he, he had no money. He just graduated high school. He was going to go on, um, not Airbnb, what's the other one? Uh, couch surfer. And I said, you know what? Just come and stay with me in my home. I got a spare room here. And this kid who'd been listening to me for a year and following me for a year, all of a sudden gets to spend three days in my home and just see me work and learn and help me out and understand how a business works. I mean, people, this is not me saying, well, I'm so great, but any kind of mentor in whatever profession, people can get so much value out of just being around someone who's 20 years ahead of them, who's done what they want to do. And that kid found a way to actually sleep under my roof, to actually get into my personal space. So just illustrating that you know enough about the other person, writing a handwritten note, you're coming up with a video, doing something that gets your attention other than can you be my mentor? Can you teach me, hey, can I buy you coffee? Can I meet up with you? Anything different than that is going to get you noticed and, and get you on the path to, to, to greatness and learning from mentors. It's kind of like a recurrent theme and in our conversation today. It's like get away from the generic, get away from the standard, do something different, stand out a lot more than anyone else. In terms of selecting a mentor, have you got any tips about that? There's a lot of people out there uh, doing different things, whether it's dating, social, business, whatever. Are there any things you think people should think about when they're thinking, oh, this is probably the guy I should go after for my mentor or like get to know for my mentor? Well, where do you want to be in 10, 20 years from now? What industry are you interested in? Find out who the leaders are in that industry, not people who, you know, maybe five years ahead of you, people who are 20 years ahead of you. I always say, use this analogy, like if you're wanting to learn basketball, would you want to learn from Michael Jordan or would you want to learn from Ron Jeremy, the former porn star? If you're going to learn basketball, you want to learn from Michael Jordan, right? So make sure you pick the right mentor. That's a big thing because all too often people follow the wrong mentors. People I follow, Warren Buffett one of the richest men in, in the world, Richard Branson. These are business people that I follow. When it comes to my health, I read books by Michael Pollan, Omnivore's, Omnivore's Dilemma. Uh, Joel Salatin, who's, one of the, who's in his uh, late 50s, early 60s, he's one of the world's great agricultural farmers and talks about how you can eat healthy food. So I follow everything that he does. I don't follow people who are 24, 25 years old who are younger than me who even though they might be experienced in that field, don't have the benefit of years of wisdom. 
So if you're going to pick a mentor, go to the very top, the very top, someone who's 20 years ahead of you because someone who's two years ahead of you or five years younger than you is not going to be able to give you the same amount of benefit as, as someone who's walked the walk consistently over time. Then it just comes down to how can I get this person's attention and how can I give value to this person? So really think about that when you're out there looking for. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, James. Okay, let's round off with a few quick fire questions. What are the best ways for people to connect with you? Where are you hanging out? You're on Twitter, your website, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can go to jameswanick.com, J-A-M-E-S-S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K. If you go there, I'll give you my personal notes on um, three books that I read, including Winning with People by John C. Maxwell. Teach a whole lot of people skills, tricks and tips and how you can start conversations. If you want to take a 30-day break from alcohol, just go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. I really walk through people there and help you take a break from alcohol so you can feel better, lose weight, get more clarity. And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at, uh, at, at James Swanick. Find me in any, any of those places. Excellent, excellent. And also, sorry, I got the podcast in iTunes, the James Swanick Show. Just subscribe to me there and I interview a whole lot of people and talk about life. And Excellent. Is there anyone besides yourself that you'd recommend for high-quality advice in this area, the kind of areas we've been talking about today? Yeah, John Corcoran is really good. He's a good guy. J-O-H-N-C-O-R-C-O-R-A-N. He used to be a speechwriter for President Bill Clinton. And he's very good at teaching you how to connect with heroes and cold emailing people. He's really good at that. Uh, I would also say that um, if you go to jameswanick.com forward slash people, you can get my people skills product there. And I, I really walk you through like cold emailing, the scripts that you should say, what to say in conversations, what not to say. Yeah, you can check that out as well and that'll, that'll help you. But yeah, certainly John Corcoran is really good. Uh, and then also John C. Maxwell's book, Winning with People, uh, is terrific as well. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, last question. What are your top three recommendations to guys starting from scratch from zero? They don't have any prior knowledge about dating, sex, and relationships. What would be your top three recommendations for them to improve this aspect of their life as quickly as possible? I mean, I would just say get out, get a mentor or do a program, learn from someone, and then just get out there and test it. It's not enough for you to just have knowledge in your head. It's got to be applied knowledge, applied knowledge. So get out there, make mistakes, make mistakes, damn it. Because if you don't, then you're not going to learn. We learn best from our mistakes, right? So test everything. Listen to what I've said in this interview. Go out there and test something, whether it's asking a different question, get some feedback, see what works, see what doesn't, and then go again. It's pretty simple, but don't just say, oh, I feel good now because I listened to this interview and oh, I feel good because I read John C. Maxwell's Winning with People and then just feel good about yourself and do nothing. You have to go out there and apply the knowledge. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. Some great points there. Thank you very much for that, James. And it's been great to connect with you. Thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.